John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good afternoon, Emmanuel Church. Um, let me just get this open up. There we go. I hope we all are well and are recovered from our Thanksgiving food coma. Um, don't we just praise God for his provision of food and his faithfulness, huh? It is my sincere privilege to bring God's work to you today. Um, as we will be resuming our time back in the book of 1 John. And let me pray again as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that your will be done, that Christ would be exalted, and that your church be built on sound teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we'll be taking a break from our regular series, preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And for this month, we'll start an Advent series. Um, but today, we'll be going through one day. <laughs> if you remember from my, my last sermon, one John is a letter. And it's written by the Apostle John to believers. He writes to help believers understand how they can know that they are saved and are able to identify and protect the church from false teachers. Towards the end of the 16th century, that's a bit of a way back, Shakespeare and the playwright Richard III would have a character say these words. And I can't say it in the accent, but it would be this. Talkers are no good doers. Be assured, we come to use our hands and not our tongues. Fast forward a few centuries, and then in a news article, Benjamin Franklin gives a comment about a man saying this, although he has no gilded medals upon his bosom, Howard Herring of the North American Watch Company walks the walk and talks the talk of a hero today. I'm quite certain all of us have heard something like this. You know, phrases like, uh, easier said than done, actions speak louder than words, 
practice what you preach. It's a phrase that's used often to communicate that what you say needs to match up with what you do. In our passage for today, we will be seeing how what we know and believe about God is connected to how we live out our lives today. If you're taking notes, our main point for today comes straight from the text that Joni read. God is light and we walk in fellowship with Christ as our advocate. Let me say that again. God is light and we walk in fellowship with Christ as our advocate. Let's start with our first point. God is light. Turn your Bibles to verse 5 if you haven't already or you'll find it on the bulletin. First thing to notice here. Let me actually pull it up. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. First thing to notice here, the Apostle John is talking about a message that is from Jesus himself. Looking at the gospel books, there are several ways, several mentions where God and light are talked about together. And here, John is introducing a theme that we will see later on repeated throughout the entire letter. The statement about God being light is both awesome and simple. And there's a lot we can say about it, but for today, let me give you three things of what God being light is in relation to the text that we have today. Number one, God is holy. That means that he's perfect, set apart from everything else. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, in his dream in Isaiah 6, he sees God in the heavenly throne, and what's his first response when he sees it? Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. There's a sense that when you're in the presence of a holy God, you recognize that you are not Him, that He is holy and you are not. Second, God is true, meaning that it is from Him that we know what is real today. We know what is good and evil. What he says is absolute truth. Think about this idea that when the light turns on, you suddenly know what the room is like. Otherwise you didn't. That's what God is. And thirdly, and it's not, it's not something directly from this verse, but you can see it later on throughout the passage. Jesus is the light of the world. In the beginning of John's gospel, that's not one John, that's John. Uh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, 
you see similar language where the Apostle John talks about Jesus having life in himself, and that life is the light of men. So let me just read it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. On top of that, another place where we see Jesus being the light is this scene up on a mountain. It's, a tra- it's called the transfiguration scene in Mark 9, where Peter, James, and John follow Jesus up this mountain, and suddenly they see Jesus become radiant. The passage says that he has this intense light that even the bleach of the earth could not match up to. Our section today hinges on this truth about what is believed about God. For him to have absolutely darkness, that's the end of verse 5. For him to have it, have no darkness at all implies that God will always be perfect. And on the flip side, has no trace of impurity, no trace of darkness in him. And it's not just about who he is, it's also about his character, what he does. He's consistent in his character, meaning that what he says, he does. He's the one who walks the walk and talks the talk. And we'll see more in this passage today. And think about it this, for John, out of everything he could say about God, He chose to say God being light. Imagine with me. Actually, let me skip that. Light is amazing. And for John to say this should give us a sense of awe. Have I put it in your minds already how great it is that God is light? When God is light and we walk in fellowship with Christ as our advocate, we think about everything hinging upon it. We move now into my second point, which is we walk in fellowship. I've split this into two sub points, and I've also tried to alliterate it this time. Um, our first sub point under point two, uh, we walk in fellowship, it's called Fellowship filled with light. Read with me in verse 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. When John is using the we here, he's talking about the people who claim to be Christians. It seems that there were people in the church who were making a claim that they can have a relationship with God while walking in darkness. What is walking in darkness? 
well, obviously it's not one in light. Um, walking in darkness is a life of evil and sin. And to claim that you could be with God while living a life of sin and evil doesn't really match up. Let me illustrate it this way. Think of a, a lifestyle. I mean, today there's very names of many lifestyles that people do. But a common one is being vegetarian. So you have Dina who chooses to be vegetarian for the rest of her life. And in public, Dina's eating salads, being super healthy. But at home, what's Dina doing? She's chomping down an In-N-Out and having KFC chicken wings. Now my question to you, does that make Dina vegetarian? No, it doesn't. Not only is Dina not vegetarian, but in public she's also lying. She's lying to the people that she's meeting with. Similarly, there can be people who say they're Christian, but you can see that their life does not look like one that follows God. And this is what it means when John looks and says, verse, the end of verse 6, we lie and do not practice the truth. Moving on to verse 7, we see what walking in the light looks like. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you remember my previous sermon, we, we mentioned and talked about this theme of fellowship. Right? At the end, uh, if you just look back, verse Verse 3, at the end of verse 3, we see this repeated theme. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Anyone who has fellowship with God also has fellowship with other believers. They always go hand in hand. It is so clear that the Christian life is not an individual experience. It's always done together. And that's why at Emmanuel Church, we practice church membership. We recognize that God, when He saves us and redeems us and, and gives us a restored, reconciled relationship with Him, it's not just a personal one-on-one -on -one with God. It is also with his people and it's God's wisdom to design it that way when verse 7 says we walk in the light it's implying that we walk with God who is light we don't magically become the light and but we walk in the light and it's only possible because of the second half of verse 7 read with me and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. All sin. Just hold your finger on 1 John and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. Um, you'll see um, John 3 has some more details that will help us understand this text a little more. And as you're turning for context, 
This is towards the end of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, a Jewish ruler, and they're talking about the, uh, how to enter the kingdom of God. So this is chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may, not, may be shown to be accomplished by God. You see what it says here, the light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness. John is implying here that man is naturally in darkness. And all the scripture is clear about this. That mankind are sinners by nature. We chose to reject God and take his place in our lives. And in so doing, we become rebellious, rebellious to him. And fully deserving of his judgment and his wrath. The only hope of escaping his wrath is by being washed clean of our sins. And the good news is that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, die on a cross, rise again from the grave, and in so doing, pay the penalty of the sins of those who put their faith and trust in Christ receiving forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and the righteousness that is in Christ, and a restored, reconciled relationship with God. You see, through Jesus, all can have access to God and are now able, as verse 7 says, walk in the light. If you're in this room and are not a believer, let me encourage you to consider this for yourself. There is no sin too big for God. Consider turning from a life of darkness to one with God in the light. Each of us can have fellowship with God and also fellowship with God's redeeming people. Let me make a note here. On the flip side of this, the people who walk in darkness, we talked about fellowship with God, but the people who walk in the light, fellowship with his people. For the people who walk in darkness, they don't get that. We often think about the fact that they don't have fellowship with God. But it's also sad that they don't have fellowship with God's people. Fellow members, what happens when we sin? What's the first thing that happens? We usually tend to isolate, right? We tend to stop coming to church. Brothers and sisters, this verse should be a comfort to us when we sin. When Christ's blood was shed, it was for the sins of the past, the present, and the future. 
our salvation was never dependent on our obedience to God's law, but rather our faith in Christ who kept it. So keep walking in the light, brothers and sisters. Keep following Christ. That's my first sub-point. Fellowship filled with light. And now we're going to look at my next sub-point in walk in fellowship. The second point is this. Humble honesty. Verses 8 to 10. Let me read. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We see two claims here in this section. One in verse 8 and the other in verse 10. Pastor and commentator David Jackman calls this the two dead ends. In verse 8, there seemed to be people who claimed that they have no sin nature. Friends, there is only one without sin, and that is God himself. Hear these words from Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. Look at verse 3. All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. For someone to claim this only reveals that they do not walk in the light. God has made it clear in his word that all men have a sinful nature. For those in Christ, we live life in this unique paradox. Um, they call it the already but not yet. Before God, we are already declared righteous and perfect through Christ in us. But at the same time, we are being made perfect through the process of sanctification every day as we follow Christ. After conversion, as we grow into maturity, two things usually happen. And this is a good test as you walk in your faith. And I don't know if you've already heard this, but I'll, I'll try to show it to you. The moment you come to faith and you grow, two things will happen. You will grow in your knowledge of God and His holiness. And at the same time you do that, the more you are with God, the more you know about your sin and your rebellion against God. It's amazing. And on top of that, it becomes like this. And the idea is that the cross becomes bigger. What Jesus has done for you becomes even bigger. I don't know if you've read this book, The Pilgrim's Progress, 
but it's amazing in the beginning you have this guy who suddenly he gets a piece of scripture and he's crying over it like he's really emotional convicted by his sin but you see throughout right in the beginning of the book as he reads it what happens does anybody know Jack? His grows. yeah his burden grows the more you come to know about God the more you come to know about your own sin and the more you come to know how precious it is that Christ died for you. The people in verse 8 are like the sick man who's pretending to be healthy. But in fact, not only is he, there's not actual pretending, he's believing that he's not sick. Um, to help illustrate this further, I want to just read this, this really small story from the life of Charles Spurgeon. And he had someone who came to him and claimed that he had no sin. So let me read it. It is said that Spurgeon was once confronted by a man who claimed to be without sin. Intrigued. The preacher, that's Spurgeon, invited this guy to come home to dinner. And after hearing the claims through, Spurgeon picks up this glass of water. And what does he do? Throws it in the man's face. <laughs> Understandably, the visitor was highly indignant and expressed himself very forcefully to the preacher about his lack of courtesy. How could you do this? To which the wise man Spurgeon replied, Ah, you see, the old man within you is not dead. He had simply fainted and could be revived with a glass of water. <laughs> but I don't know if I would do this to somebody. But you get the point. People like these are just self-deceived. And verse 10 takes it to a, another level. It's another dead end. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In this one, the claim is that the people have not committed any sinful action. And if it is the same people we see in verse 8, who don't believe that they have a sin nature, it's not surprising to hear that they would come to this conclusion, right? They're walking in darkness. Friends, do you know what's most sad when we hear people say this? Their acts of sin are not sin to them. It's a dangerous place to be. You know, Romans 1 talks about this judgment that God gives. And it's not this fire and brimstone. It's leaving people in their sin. 
people who don't recognize they are rebellion to God. Their walk in darkness is not a life of sin to them. Furthermore, by doing this, they're telling God that he's wrong. God's word doesn't take space in their hearts. And it's not restricted to a few select people, you know. The world has gotten real good about rebranding sin. We live in an age where we don't want to offend anybody. And then sin gets rebranded into these trendy terms. It's softened and reduced. Here's some that I've heard from my own ears. Lying becomes communication problems. Um, or misinformation. Greedy becomes passionate. Oh, you're so passionate. Selfishness is nowadays getting what I deserve. The term sin itself also gets reduced. It becomes concerns, opportunities for growth. And by doing this, we leave sin unaddressed. These people will then, by doing this, prescribe a different cure, which will not work. Because it's not what God taught. Friends, leaving sin unaddressed as sin. The sad thing about people like this is they don't get to know forgiveness. They don't come to experience God's love in Christ. They miss out on such a beautiful grace in God. My fellow believer, we need to be vigilant about the things we say and do to make sure that what we do and say is influenced by God's word. Or else, somebody else will become the teacher. We might fall prey to being instructed by Satan or the sinfulness of the world. Praise God. That in his wisdom and grace, he gives us the local church. We come together. We, we confirm each other's calling. We rebuke, not because we, won't, we are upset, but because we want uh, each other to follow Christ. And I say this not without hope. God in his grace and mercy has shown us the way of walking in the light has shown us a way of continual fellowship with him in verse 9. Read verse 9 with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how genuine believers are to walk in fellowship with God when they fall into sin. Notice here the contrasts with the people in verse 8 and 10, right? You've got verse 9 in between, 
But look at verse 8 and 10 and the, the, the contrast. The believer here, what does he do? He recognizes that sin was committed. And we know he knows it specifically. How? Because he confesses it. And what does he do with this confession? He doesn't bring it to how we think of people bringing it to priests. No, he brings it to God directly. (coughs) And what happens to this genuine believer when he does this? God acts in accordance with his character. What he says, he says. What he does, he does. And he forgives the man because of his faith in Christ's redemptive work. You see, until the Lord comes or we die, there is the reality that Christians will struggle with sin. But we can always go to God saying, Heavenly Father, forgive me for fill-in-the-blank sin. I pray that you would teach me how to do this right from your word. Help me not to do this again. By the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We can come to God at any time, from anywhere, and bring our sins to him. And all of this is possible because of Christ. You see... I don't know, there's sometimes we can feel when we sin that God is far from us. But this passage is saying, you can always go to Him. And it's because Christ is our advocate. And that brings me to my last point. Christ, our advocate. God is light. We walk in fellowship with Christ as our advocate. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Let me read. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Here in verse 1, John calls the original readers of this letter his little children. This is his family that he's talking to. And he's writing all that we've seen so far to help them not sin. To help them walk in the light. And he's reminding them of these fundamental truths. So it is clear to the believers what they need to hold on to when they walk in the light. He already brings up this reality that we've seen, that believers strive to walk in fellowship with God, yet commit sin in this life. But then he comforts them with this truth, that they have an advocate with Jesus Christ. So what's an advocate? An advocate is someone who speaks in support of you, Basically, you know, in a courtroom case, this is your defendant who who speaks on behalf of you. He's kind of like the mediating party between the court system and the person. And he comes alongside to support them. 
And oftentimes, it's in a position where people can't speak for themselves. Um, because God is holy and can, can't stand in the presence of sin, it is impossible for man to approach God on their own. This is why we need Christ to be our advocate who pleads to the Father on our behalf. When Christians sin, what's happening is it's already washed in the blood of Christ when Jesus died on the cross. And Christ goes to the Father requesting our pardon, but instead of putting forth our record of sin, Christ offers himself. And his sacrifice on the cross is put forward as payment for the penalty of our sin. And you know, what makes, what makes Christ our advocate even more special is that Christ is God's son. You know, uh, I, when I grew up, my, my dad would make me and my brothers memorize um, all, the, all the numbers of the house. So that was the house phone, my mom's phone, my dad had two phones. So like, we were like ingrained, seared in our memory too, to memorize these numbers. So that whenever we wanted to call them, we could call them, right? Now, of course, I grew up, I called my dad whenever I wanted to come to school. I want like, I want to go buy a video game or I want to go buy chocolate, whatever. I would do those things. But I didn't notice how special it was until one day I was driving in the car with my dad and he gets a call and he cuts it. And like it's his work call. Like, and it, it, then it hit me that the reason, like there's business to be done, but my dad would not take his call. But any time I called, he picks it up. And that's the relationship God the Son has with God the Father. And that Jesus Christ is the person who's interceding for us. So you can rest assured knowing that it is guaranteed that when Christ goes on our behalf, the Father will hear him because he's a son. Some of this is probably not new to all of you who are believers, but these are fundamental to who we are, fellow Christian. This is what we will always believe. Christ is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, it says here in this passage. Other translations will say that Jesus is the, it's a long word, propitiation of our sins. But what it basically means is that God's righteous anchor on sin has turned away from us and it's fully absorbed in Christ's sacrifice. You see, sin can never be swept under the rug with God. There needed to be a just retribution against sin. And in Christ's sacrifice, God's wrath is satisfied. And we are reconciled to God. We saw this in 
And Vincent's scripture reading today, as he was teaching about it from Exodus, when he taught about the blood of the lamb, yeah, a few verses before that, he'll talk about this lamb having certain details, like that it's a spotless lamb or a lamb without blemish, and how the blood of the lamb is spread across the doorposts of the Israelites to protect them from God's judgment for the sins of Egypt. There would be this angel of death who would pass over these homes covered in the blood, strike Egypt for their sin. And similarly, God's wrath on our sin is fully satisfied by the blood of Christ that we are washed in. Fellow Christian, when you have fallen in sin, let me encourage you to rush to God and hold fast to Christ. He's taken away your shame and guilt. And you can approach God and confess your sin in faith knowing that Christ has washed you clean. Repent. Sin no more. And walk. Keep walking in the light. The gospel of Jesus Christ should always be an encouragement to us. Salvation in Christ by God's grace is available for all who would put their faith and trust in Him. That's the end of verse 2. When he talks about the sins of the whole world, he's talking about everyone who would turn to Christ. Moving into application, there are so many ways believers continue to walk in fellowship with God and His people. And let me list a few here. <coughs> Number one, study God's Word. If we're talking about walking in the light, we can only practice it, we can practice the truth if we know it. Number two, be intentional about spending time with believers and helping each other follow Jesus. This is the fellowship with other saints that we were talking about, which go hand in hand with our fellowship with God. This is what discipleship is. Consider the risk of being uncomfortable and opening up others, opening up to others for the good that God can do through it. You know, it's most likely that other people are feeling the same way too. Number three, confess your sins to God regularly. And I pray, if you, have, if you have no sin to confess, pray that God would keep you sensitive to it. Every week, Jason and I, for staff meeting, we come together to pray for the church, and, and we begin our time praising God and confessing sin. Number four, and this one is, is sharing the gospel regularly. The more you share the gospel, the more you remember Christ, the more you remember what he's done for you. And there is no one on this earth who doesn't need the gospel. You can encourage the believer or offer hope of forgiveness and new life to the lost. It's a win-win. And if you are not a member of any gospel preaching church, 
let me encourage you to join one. As I said before, the Christian life is done with one another. There is no lone range of Christianity here. Fellowship with God goes hand in hand with fellowship with His people. And we would love to have you consider joining us here at Emmanuel Church. Feel free to speak to myself, Jason, or any member of our church. Let me conclude with the main point again. God is light and we walk in fellowship with Christ as our advocate. Let us pray. Almighty God, you who dwell in unapproachable light, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, who has paid the price for our sins. Lord, we pray that Emmanuel Church would be a people who walk in the light. Fill us all with the knowledge of your holiness that we would not sin and rather walk in the light. Help us to hold fast to our confession of faith without wavering until you come to take us home. Be glorified through our fellowship together in the light we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.